Thank you so much, Pastor Glenn and uh, Pastor John. If you're watching, thank you so much for the opportunity to come and to to speak today. It is a great honor for me to be here uh, with you today. Uh, I know what it was like for this church when it was meeting in uh, um, the Memorial Building on Southwestern Seminary's campus with Dr. Steve Lee and uh, some of the core inter, inter, uh, uh, introduction group to this group. So I've seen you all from your inception all the way through. So it is an honor for me to be with you here today. And uh, if you've got a copy of the Bible, let me just invite you to open it up to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. And today as we uh, come together and, and speak uh, from the Word of God, I want to preach to you in a sermon I've entitled, Conquering the Corinthian Cringes. Conquering the Corinthian Cringes. Now, some of you say, what is a Corinthian cringe? <laughs> Well, we're going to see in our text today that as Paul makes his way through his missionary journeys and comes to the city of Corinth, that something happens there that so grips him with fear that it takes the Lord Jesus Christ himself to come in a vision at night to help break the fear in his life so that he can do the task to which God has called him to do. And so as you've got your text there, Acts chapter 18, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Version, just in case yours is just a little bit different. Uh, would you follow along with me in the text as we read Acts chapter 18, verses uh, 1 through uh, 11, excuse me, 10. The Bible says this, After this, he, Paul, left Athens, and he went to Corinth, where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had, had commanded that all the Jews leave Rome. Paul came to them, and since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, that's Philippi, Paul devoted himself to preaching the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. When they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his clothes and he told them, your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so he left there and he went into the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God, whose house was right next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord along with his whole household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, don't be afraid, but keep on speaking. Don't be silent, for I am with you and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in this city. And he stayed there a year and a half, teaching the Word of God among them. I don't know if you noticed it there, but whenever Paul is there, he's been preaching the gospel, he gets resistance, he gets uh, blasphemed, he, he gets uh, um, people making fun of him. He gets into a situation where he's so afraid that Jesus has to come and tell him, don't be afraid anymore, keep on speaking, don't be silent. 
Do you know that it is, I'm going to say something you think that as a professor of evangelism, I shouldn't say this as someone who would want you to do evangelism, I would not say this, but here's the truth of the matter. It doesn't matter how long you've done it. It doesn't matter how many degrees that you have in evangelism. If you're like Alex here, who is getting a PhD in evangelism, or Pastor John, who also got a PhD in evangelism. It doesn't matter how many degrees you've done. It doesn't matter how long you've done it. It doesn't matter how many presentations you can memorize. Evangelism is scary business. I'm the chair of fire, the occupant of the very first evangelism professorship in the world, and I still get afraid doing evangelism. So I want you to know that if you're afraid to share the gospel with someone, that's a natural response. And if you were me and I were you, we would have the same response. But although evangelism is a scary business, I want you to know that God is with us and God can give us the confidence that we need to be able to do it. Let me give you an example. There was one time, uh, this was probably about 10 years ago, I was going out and I do still do door-to-door evangelism. And I had a couple of students with me and we were going down on the south end of the campus. We were knocking on doors. We came to a a house and we didn't even get to the door because the, the residents of that home were standing and sitting in the back of a pickup truck. And so I just went up to them and I said, hi, my name is Matt and this is Samuel and this is so and so. And we've just come today to tell you about God's great love for you. And no sooner than I said, God's great love for you, every single one of those men, about four of them, started laughing at me. Now, you want to talk about being afraid, being caught off your game? I was caught off my game. I thought, what in the world will, will I do for this? And I, I started thinking about it. And I thought, what would Alex do? And so I I said, I've got to reassert myself. That's what I've got to do. And so I I looked him up and down. I looked all of them up and down. And I found the biggest one of them, and he was sitting right there in front of me. And I took my finger and I said, is that funny? And all of a sudden, as soon as I did that, I looked down and his lap was a gun. I thought, this is going to be funny, (laughs) you know, (laughs) going to be something, you know. I said, well, thinking about what Alex would do, that didn't do me any good. And so I said, what, what would John do? What would Pastor John do in a situation like this? He's got a PhD in evangelism. What would he do? And, and I started thinking about it. And I said, I've got to just feign, you know, ignorance and, and fear. And so I said, man, you're not going to shoot me with that thing, are you? And he took it up out of his, out of his lap and he held it up. And I did like, whoops, excuse me. <laughs> I didn't do it like that. I backed up and I had my hands up and I said, whoa, whoa, whoa you're not going to shoot me with that, are you? He said, no, nah, man, this is a BB gun. I said, well, BB that thing behind you. I want to tell you about Jesus. And so he put it behind him in the truck and, and I was able to tell him about Jesus that day. Here's what I wanted you to know. I don't think that every encounter you'll have, certainly not every encounter in evangelism I've had has been like that. But whether they're like that or they're even less than that, we can get afraid in evangelism. And we can get, as Paul had, a case of what I call the Corinthian cringes. He came to Corinth. That's why we call it Corinthian, okay? Cringes, that word means fear. You know, whenever you hear of a bad accident, I had a friend yesterday who got uh, hit on a bike by a car. And when I heard about it, I just cringed, you know, in fear almost. Oh, no, what what's going on with my friend? In the same way, we have that when it comes to evangelism. And so what I want us to do this morning is as we look in this text, I want to see two things. What were the source 
of Paul's Corinthian cringes. What were the things that led him to be so afraid about ever sharing the gospel again? He was tempted to just zip his lip and not tell anybody else about Jesus. What led to that? I want to look at the source of the Corinthian cringes. And then we will come and I'm going to talk about the solution. How did he overcome the Corinthian cringes in his life? Because how he overcame fear is how you will overcome fear. It's how I will overcome fear in every circumstance of sharing the gospel that we have. So first of all, I want us to see the source of the Corinthian cringes. Let me just bring our text into view. Paul has been on some missionary journeys. He's been on some trips and he's been taking the gospel everywhere. You want to know why Paul was probably afraid when he got to Corinth? Because in Acts chapter 13, when he goes into Antioch and Pisidia, he preaches the good news of Jesus Christ. And guess what it gets him? People expel him from the city and say, leave. Have you ever been told to go away from sharing the gospel before? I have. He got afraid. In Acts chapter 14, you see it there on the text. When he goes to, uh, there to uh, Lystra and to Derby, he goes and he shares the gospel there. Uh, but before he gets to Lystra and Derby, he goes to Iconium. In Iconium, he preaches the gospel and they pick up stones to throw at him. Now, I've never had that happen. I've had dogs come after me, but never had stones thrown at me. Thankfully, they weren't good uh, aims. And so uh, Paul was able to get out of Iconium and he went to uh, Lystra and Derby uh, there in chapter 14. And there he preached the gospel. And they must have had some good baseball players there because in Lystra and Derby, when they threw the rocks at him there, they actually hit him. So much so that Luke tells us that they thought he was dead and they drug his body out to the city gate. You'd be afraid too, wouldn't you? (laughs) We go on in in Acts chapter 15, of course, uh, we know that Acts chapter 15, he goes to Jerusalem and there's this big church business meeting that takes place. And so he's there, he heals from his wounds. In Acts chapter 16, he goes to Macedonia. There's a man from Macedonia says, come over here. And so Paul gets there and when he gets there, he goes to the synagogue, he goes down the river and he shares the gospel with Lydia and her household and they all get saved. I mean, finally, something good happens, you know. And then after that, he's walking around the town, he and and Silas, and they're there and they're preaching the gospel. And there's a little slave girl that's skipping around saying, look, behold, these are the servants of the most high God, Jesus Christ. And Paul finally gets irritated with her and he says, come out of her because she was demon possessed. And in that very hour, the demon came out of her. You think that this lady set free from demonic power and now going to be set free from her human captor. She was a, in many ways trafficked as a human, a slave girl. You think that this would be a good thing, but no, those who owned her had charges taken out against Paul and his companion. They were thrown into the jail, but in the jail, they began to sing praise to God I'm sure they were sharing the gospel. Anytime Paul was sharing the go- in jail, he was sharing the gospel. He was chained up beside a soldier sharing the gospel. And there the Bible says, before Elvis Presley even had his great hit, the jailhouse rocked. <laughs> it rocked. The doors came open. The chains came off. And the janitor was going to kill himself. And they said, don't kill yourself. Paul said, we're all here. And he said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll be saved. And you didn't ask about it, but your household too. And they were. He then goes into Acts chapter 17 and he goes into Berea and Thessalonica. 
Then he makes his way into Athens. And there he preaches the gospel. He preaches Jesus and resurrection. And the philosophers of the day, they, they don't know what to do with that. And so they bring him up to what's called the Areopagus or Mars Hill, maybe you've heard of. And there he preaches Jesus resurrected from the dead. The Bible says some believed. Some said, we'll hear you again on this matter. But the vast majority laughed him out of Athens. That's where our text picks up. No wonder Paul's afraid and has a case of the cringes come into Corinth. He's been expelled. He's had thrown, uh, stones thrown at him. He's had stones thrown at him that hit him. <laughs> He's been put into prison and beaten. He's been made fun of. No wonder Paul is afraid when he comes to Corinth. And that's where our text picks up. And the Bible says this. After this, he left Athens and he went to Corinth where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Now, as you hear me read that, you're saying, you're talking about Paul having a case of the cringes, being afraid. It doesn't say that Paul's afraid when he comes to Corinth. Well, you'd be right. Luke does not tell us that Paul is afraid when he comes to Corinth. But you can't read Acts chapter 18 completely and understand everything unless you also read first and second what? Corinthians. Because guess what Paul says and admits readily in 1 Corinthians. Let's look at the slide there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 3, Paul says, When I came to you, I was with you in what church? Weakness. And in what? Fear. And in what? trembling cringes he was cringing when I came to you I was afraid I was shaking I was afraid friends I want you to know if the greatest missionary evangelist in the history of the world that's not pastor Alex or that's not pastor John or that's not Matt Queen the greatest missionary evangelist in the world the apostle Paul if he got afraid when it came to sharing the gospel you will too the Bible says he comes and he meets up with this guy named Aquila, who's a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy. That's Rome, just so you know. He came, came with his wife because Claudius had commanded that all the Jews leave Rome. Now, who's Claudius? Claudius is the emperor of this time. He's the, really the ruler of the world in many ways. The Bible says he commanded the Jews to leave Italy or to leave Rome. Now, why did they have to go? There are about two or three different um, historians that have theories about what this text means. The one that probably makes the most sense to me is there's a historian named Suetonius. Who Suetonius said that uh, in the first, uh, uh, maybe first 40, 50 years of, of the, uh, of, of the uh, uh, first century, that uh, there was in Rome a group that pledged their allegiance to, and here's what he says, they pledged their allegiance to Crestus, not Claudius. Now, Crestus, you say, well, who's Crestus? But what's interesting is sometimes whenever things get written down, sometimes there's misspelling or there's mistranslations or stuff like that. Crestus sounds a whole lot like Christos, which is likely these Jews who are believing in Jesus, who says, I will not bow down to Claudius. Instead, I'm going to bow down to Jesus. 
This is religious persecution. Whatever it is, I think that makes the most sense of all the theories that are out there. But of all of them, whatever it was, it was religious persecution. They were told to leave Rome. And so they came to Corinth. And the Bible says Paul came to them. And since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. Now, you don't need to go there now, but you can look in the back of your Bible and your maps and you can see and find Paul and his missionary journeys and you can actually find Corinth. And Corinth is built and situated on a piece of land that, well, let's just see how well your geography teacher did. If you have a little piece of land that's surrounded by water, what do we call that? An island. Very good. All right. There we go. Half of you had good geography teachers. Some of you just didn't know or you're not awake. All right. Now, if you have a large piece of land, large, large piece of land that's got water on either side, what do you call that? Continent. All right. Glenn got it right. Continent. All right. Don't play uh, geography with Glenn. He's going to get it right. Now, this is the real one I want to ask you about. If you have a small land bridge that connects two larger pieces of land, a little land bridge with water on each side. What do you call that? Well, looky there, they beat you, Glenn. You lost. Glenn lost it. An isthmus, that's right. And just so you know, Corinth was built on an isthmus, okay? It's built on an isthmus. So there, how many of y'all have ever heard of those ancient games in Greece called the uh, Olympic Games? Anybody ever heard of that? Okay. There, were, there was another set of, of games that were in that time period by the Greeks and the Romans, and that was called the Ismonian Games. And I'm going to give you three guesses, and the first two don't count, where the Ismonian Games took place. In Corinth, because Corinth was, was so situated on an isthmus. So when you read that Paul and Quilla and Priscilla, that they're tent makers... Say, what's the big deal about that? Let me tell you, that's pretty lucrative business. Because during those days when they had athletic competitions and had people come in and swarm in to be able to see the athletic competitors compete against each other, they didn't have Motel 6 to leave the light on for you. They didn't have the Holiday Inn or the Marriott or the Sheraton. They didn't have the Ritz, okay? You know what people had to do and where people were able to stay if they wanted to come great masses of people to see these games? Guess what they had to purchase or rent? A tent. A lucrative business. And so on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday all the way up until dusk, until it became the Sabbath, because the Sabbath's not just on Saturday, it starts at dark on Friday. All through that time, Aquila and Priscilla and Paul are making tents. But when it comes to the Sabbath day, let's see something changes. The Bible says here in verse four, Paul, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and he tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. Paul had tools that he made tents with, but when it came to the Sabbath day, he went to the to the synagogue and there he stopped trying to make tents and he started to try to make what? Disciples. That's exactly right. Who said that? Thank you, brother. A for the day. He started to make disciples. And this comes to the first fear that I think that some of us have. Look at what it says here. Luke says, he, Paul, reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. 
You know, there's some of you here today that when it comes to evangelism, you're afraid because you don't know what to say. You know, when you think, when you read, hear me read that Paul went to the synagogue, you think that Paul came up on a stage just like I am and he preached the gospel to people. Well, Paul did that at places, but not here in Corinth. In fact, when Luke says he goes and he does this in Corinth, it doesn't say that he preached publicly. It says that he reasoned. And I'm not going to be here. I'm not one to kind of tell you the, the biblical word for this means this and this and that. I mean, that's okay if people do that. I just don't do that because uh, I'd have to look it up, okay? But I will tell you this. I do know the word for reason that's translated reason there. And if I were to tell you what it was, if I said it right now and I could, you would say, you know what that sounds like? It sounds like the word dialogue. And you know why? Because you'd be right. That's what he was doing. He wasn't preaching to masses in the Corinthian synagogue. He was talking to individuals. He was reasoning. He was having conversations about Jesus Christ, trying to persuade them to believe in Jesus Christ. So you say, well, I'll never get up on the stage like you do, Matt. That's fine. Okay, no problem with that. But you are just like I am. You are commissioned by Jesus to have conversations with people about Jesus Christ. And you say, okay, well, I know I'm supposed to do that, but I don't know what I would say if I were to share the gospel. You know, Paul, as he goes here, Paul gives us a hint on how we can know what to say. In 1 Corinthians 15, he wrote to the same church. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, he said this. For I delivered to you, I told you, that's what happens right here, what I also was told, what I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was what? Raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, Paul, that's the gospel. Jesus died, buried and raised. But notice what Paul says in verse three. He says, when I came to you, I told you what someone else told me. Do you know what that means? That means this. Friend, if you're here, you're a Christian, you say, I just don't know what to share I don't know how to share the gospel. I've never been through evangelism training. I wouldn't know what to say in a conversation. Whoa, whoa, whoa. If you're a Christian, you need to understand something. Paul said, I deliver to you what someone else delivered to me. If you know enough of the gospel to be saved by it, then you know enough of the gospel to share it. What someone else told you and you believed, you need to tell someone else so that they will believe. Now, you may not remember the exact words that they used, but you will remember that you need to know that you're a sinner. You will remember that you need to know that apart from Jesus Christ, you cannot be saved. And he, the full God and full man, died on Calvary's cross, taking in his body on the tree the wrath of God against your sin and mine. He absorbed God's wrath for us and against us and was put in a tomb and three days later was raised from the dead. And if we will repent, turn away from ourselves, trying to please God on our own because we cannot please God and put our faith in the only one that does please God, his only begotten son in whom he's well pleased, we can be saved. Friends, good news is if you are saved and you know what saves you and you've been told the gospel, by the way, you say you've never been through evangelism training. If you're saved, you've been through evangelism training. It's when you heard the gospel. That's what Paul says his evangelism training was. It wasn't from the chair of fire or Southwestern Seminary. It was from Ananias. If you know enough to be saved, you know enough to share. But maybe you're here today and honestly, you think about it and you say, you know what? I literally do not know what I would say or what I could say to tell someone else how they could be right with God.
Friend, I'm not here to make you doubt your salvation, but I will let you know this, that if you don't know enough of the gospel to share it, don't leave here today without asking one of the pastors, Pastor Glenn, me, someone, if I don't know enough of the gospel to share it, you need to ask yourself, do I know enough of the gospel to be saved by it in the first place? And friend, if that's you, don't think that you're lesser of a person or something's wrong. Friends, let me tell you something. We will rejoice if you know what saves you so that you can go from here and tell someone else about Jesus Christ. That's what Paul said. He said, I reasoned. I, I told them Jesus died, was buried and raised. I told them what someone else told me. So it's a fear of, 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 of failure. Uh, I don't know what to say. I'm afraid. No, no, friend. If you tell someone else what someone told you and what you believe about Jesus, you're successful because success in evangelism is doing it. He goes on to say this, when Silas and Timothy, ministry uh, partners of his, arrived from Macedonia, that's from Philippi. Paul had, had to leave them behind in Philippi, and that's when he went to Thessalonica, to Berea, to Athens, and he made his way to Corinth. The Bible says they catch up to him. Paul then devotes himself to preaching the word, and he testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah, or if you've got ESV, or something, Jesus is the Christ. Now, what is it that happens when Silas and Timothy come that Paul puts away the tools of tent making and every day now, instead of making tents, he takes up the tools of making disciples and every day he is trying to persuade Jews that Jesus is the Christ. What is it about Silas and Timothy that puts this change in Paul where he stops making tents? I'll tell you exactly what it is. You see it in Philippians chapter 4. You also see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. Paul says the Philippians sent to Paul a gift to support him. So now instead of having to support himself by making tents, now the Philippian church has given him money. So instead of having to spend all his time making tents and a little bit of his time making disciples, now he can spend all of his time making disciples. And that's exactly what he does. He preaches the word. The Bible says when he does this, trying to persuade and testify to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, the Bible says this, when they resisted, the Jews, resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his clothes and he said, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. That leads me to the second fear. Sometimes fear of failure. We don't know what to say. Yeah, if you've been saved, yeah, you do. There's also a fear of rejection. Do you know, and I just need to let you know this, that if you share the gospel, you will see more people reject than will accept. You just have to get over that. Do you know that Paul, even in this text, the greatest missionary evangelist in the history of the world, he was rejected? If Paul was rejected, why would we not think that we would be rejected? You ever heard of Jesus before? Did Jesus ever get rejected in his message? I mean, have you ever heard of Judas Iscariot? <laughs> have you ever heard of the disciples in John chapter 6 and John chapter 8 who were disciples of Jesus who walked with him no more? Have you heard of Pharisees and Sadducees? Have you heard that he was killed? What makes us think that we're not going to be rejected? You will see more rejection than you see acceptance. And guess what? That doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. It means you're doing everything right. 
you're going through this life and people aren't rejecting the message of Jesus that's spoken through you, something's wrong. Now, again, I don't mean to be a jerk or a jerkette. I don't mean to be offensive, okay? But what I do mean is, if you're, not, if you're, if you're just saying, I don't want to accept that, I don't want to be rejected, then, and I'm not going to share the gospel, then something's wrong with that. So the Bible says that he was resisted and blasphemed, and he told them, your blood be on your heads. It's amazing here. He says here, he shook out the dust from his garments. What, what in the world does that mean? Well, early on in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Silas, they're there and they go into a city. Remember, they go into Antioch and Pisidia and they did not receive their message. And you know what Paul and Silas did with their feet? What do you think they did? They shook the dust off their feet. Jesus tells his disciples to do the same thing. Well, what's this about shaking the dust off of your garments? Only other time in scripture we see this is in Nehemiah chapter 5 verse 13. When the Bible tells us that Nehemiah says, if you will not obey the Lord, then may the Lord shake you out of the land like I shake the dust out of my garments. In other words, it was an indictment against the Jews. If you're not going to follow God and follow his ways, may God shake you out. It is a sign of condemnation against them. And he says, I am innocent of your blood. Now, what in the world does that mean? In Ezekiel chapter 3, in Ezekiel chapter 33, and also in Acts chapter 20, there are four texts that actually talk about this language of not having blood on our hands. In Ezekiel, God says to, uh, God says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, you're my watchman. I'm going to give you a message of warning. And if you warn the people and they do not believe, you're innocent of their blood. That's exactly what Paul's saying here. But God says, if I give you this word and you don't warn them, I'm going to require their blood at your hand. It's repeated in Ezekiel 33. Paul says to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, he said, I'm innocent of the blood of all men because I did not fail to tell them the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is saying here is I'm innocent of your blood. I've done what I have to do. Now it's on you between you and God. Do you know what that means? Here's what that means. If you and I today leave here and go out to Walmart or go to, into our neighbor on a walk, neighborhood on a walk or whatever it is, and we share the gospel with someone and they get saved, you know who's responsible for that? You know who gets credit for that? God. If we share and somebody gets saved today or any day, God gets the credit. But if you and I go today in those same places and we share the gospel and we get rejected, you know who's to blame for that? They are, because they've rejected it. But friends, in Arlington and in Fort Worth and in Burleson, where I live, if no one hears the gospel, you know who's responsible? You are. Right there in the back, you are. Akeem, you're responsible. Alex, John, Glenn, and me too. That's where the responsibility comes. And so the Bible says that he goes there to a house named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. And it was right next door to the synagogue. And though he said, I'm going to the Gentiles, he doesn't go too far away. Why? Because there's nobody beyond the grace of God. And while he's preaching to the Gentiles, Crispus, the pastor of the synagogue, as it were, the Bible says he believed in the Lord along with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, when they heard what? That you're a sinner, 
But God in his love has sent Jesus, his son, God in the flesh, to die on the cross for your sins, to be buried and to be raised again on the third day. And if you will turn from your sins, that's called repent, turn from yourself and put your faith in him, you can be saved. When they heard that, the Bible says they believed and were baptized. Notice this. It didn't say that they were baptized and then they believed. They believed and then they were baptized. I wonder today, have you ever believed in Jesus? Maybe you're here and you heard and you say, you know, I don't know enough of the gospel to share it. I, I, do I know enough of the gospel to be saved by it? And maybe today is the day for you to believe in Jesus Christ, to turn away from your sins. Today, I want to invite you to do that. There'll be no more greater celebration in this place than if somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Today, do you need to believe? Maybe you're here today and you say, I do believe. But you've never been baptized. Every time you will not find a time in the Bible where someone is baptized before they believe. It's always that they believe and then they're baptized. You know why? Because water does not wash away your sin. Water says, I believe that Jesus died. He was buried. And if the preacher does it right, brings you back up, right? He was raised from the dead. Also that you have been buried with Christ in baptism, but you've been raised. To, it doesn't make sense if you do it before your belief. And maybe you're here today and you do believe in Jesus, but you've never presented yourself before a congregation and say, I want to be baptized. I want you to know today is that day for you. If you believe, I can tell you on the authority of God's word today, it is God's will for you to come and speak to one of the pastors or to me to begin the process of baptism. Today, will you believe? Today, will you be baptized? And then last, I want you to see this in verse 11. The Bible says this, and he, Paul, and Paul stayed there a year and a half in Corinth, teaching the word of God, not at them, not in them, not to them, but he taught the word of God, what? Among them. He belonged to them and they belong to him. Maybe you've believed, maybe you've been baptized, but you, you're welcome here, but you don't belong yet because you've not joined up. Today is the day that you can begin that process. This church has a process for membership. And if you want to not just go from being welcome here, but belonging here, being a part of here, today you can do just that. Do you need to believe? Do you need to be baptized? Do you need to belong? Now that all relates to the source of the Corinthian cringes. What I want to do now is I want to just real quick before we go, I want to tell you about what the solution to the Corinthian cringes are. Look at the solution. It's in verses 9 and 10. The Bible says, even after this, Paul is so afraid that God came to him, the Lord came to him in a night vision and said, do not be afraid. This lines up exactly with what he corresponded with him when he said, when I came to you, I was in fear and weakness and much trembling. And Paul is told by Jesus, don't be afraid. Afraid of what? Well, look, but keep on speaking and don't be silent. What was he afraid of? He was afraid of telling anybody else about Jesus Christ. That's why God says, don't be afraid of speaking. Don't not speak, he says. His fear related to sharing the gospel. And maybe you're here today and maybe you've got a fear of sharing the gospel and your fear has paralyzed you and prevented you from sharing the gospel anytime soon. 
God says to you, as he said to his apostle Paul, do not be afraid. Go on speaking. Don't be silent. You may be here and you say, Brother Matt, Brother Matt, I know I'm supposed to do that, but how, I, I'm still afraid. I, my head knows it, but my heart, I, just, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to move past this. What's the solution? Well, here's the solution. God doesn't just say, do this. Go on speaking. Don't be silent. He gives that command, but he gives the reasoning for that command. Look at the next word. For. Gar. For this reason. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent because for what? I am with you. Friend, the reason and the way that you can go on, even in your fear to share the gospel, is because Jesus is with you you. He will never leave you. This is the most promise, promise in scripture. You can't do it on your own. If you're looking for the words within yourself to share the gospel, you'll never find them. But if you ask him for the words, he'll give them to you. He said to his disciples, don't worry about what you'll say when they drag you up before the magistrates for the Holy Spirit will give you the word in that very hour. If you're looking for enough courage, if you're looking for courage and boldness within yourself to share the gospel, you'll never find it. But if you, like the church in Acts, say, Dear God, give us boldness against their threats. Let us proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. God will do just that, and he'll give you boldness. He is with you. Here's the whole principle of this whole text. It's up here on the screen. Look at this. Boldness in sharing the gospel of Christ comes from trusting in the presence of Christ. You want boldness in sharing the gospel? It's okay to go to seminary. It's okay to go to evangelism training. It's okay to get a lot of practice and reps in. But if you want boldness in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, Luke tells us in Paul's life, it comes from trusting in the presence of Christ. There will be no proclamation of the gospel if there is no presence dependent in our lives on Jesus Christ. So today, maybe you've believed, maybe you've been baptized, maybe you belong. Maybe today, you need to be bold. I know this is a little different for you all. I know this is a little change, so y'all just forgive me. Y'all won't do it next week when Glenn comes to preach, okay? I want to ask that you uh, entertain me here. I feel like at this time that, there, that God's word, not Matt Queen, but God's word is spoken to some of you. And there are some of you here today that need to believe. It's not that you just believe that there is a God. You need to put your complete trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And today I want to invite you that I'm going to be down here at the front. Glenn's going to be here. There'll be others if others need to come. Would you come and would you just come to talk to me or Glenn or someone else about how you can believe today? There's some of you that already believe. You already believe but you've never been baptized. Or maybe your baptism's on the wrong side of your salvation. As a kid or as a teenager, you got baptized. You, got, well, you didn't get baptized, you got wet. <laughs> but you, got, you came to faith in Christ when you went in college or as an adult, and your baptism's on the wrong side of your salvation. You need to come and say, Pastor Glenn, what can I do to get my baptism? So I can not just have gotten wet before I got saved. I want to be baptized after I believed. Today, would you come? Do you belong? You're always welcome here. But do you belong as a part of IBCA? 
Today, God is calling you to begin the process of membership. You've been wondering, where do I need to go? Where do I need to land? Where do I need to be a part of? God is calling you today to come and speak to Glenn or speak to me and begin the process of membership that this church has. Maybe you say, I've done all those things. Are you bold? Maybe you just come up. You don't even have to come to me. You can. Maybe you come and just sit on the front row. Or maybe you just come around this altar and say, dear God, let me be bolder than I've ever been before in sharing the gospel. I've been afraid. I've not been obedient. God, help me be bold. Do you know what? Can you imagine what God would do in a church that people around the altar praying for boldness to share the gospel? He'd bring a revival. Maybe God is calling you to be bold. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how you've spoken to us today. And in Jesus' name, I pray that as we come together and the song is played. I know this is out of sorts for this church. I know that they're not used to this. They're used to talking to someone afterwards and people can still talk to someone afterwards. But I really feel in this moment that you're here and you're speaking and that there's those that need to make some kind of response to speak to Glenn or me, or maybe just to come up to the front and just spend some time with you. So Lord, would you have your will? Lord, would you have your way in this place? We ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.